You are listening to the Greater Long Beach Church Podcast. We are a church of believers that exists to help people connect, change, and thrive in life. I am so encouraged and grateful for our preteen ministry and Joan Grace Bacorny, uh, Edmund Sandy Tepinosa for the JHT Junior High Ministry that put together so much effort to coordinate all our kids going to the camp. Really excited for that. Uh, we are striving to be a, a church that passes on the faith generation after generation after generation. In a couple of weeks, our high school students will all be going to teen camp in a couple of weeks. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, Marina and I will be up there with the teens for teen camp this year, and uh, we love teen camp. So, teens, you guys ready? Let's go. (laughs) Simon's ready. (laughs) Um, Psalm 23, we've been reading this as our theme uh, for the past few weeks here, and we started off the first few verses, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And it's been our theme for the past few weeks, the, 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 the thought that God is the one leading us, and God is our shepherd, and his word provides security and warning and reward. And we talked about how God's vision for our lives as our shepherd is quiet waters and green pastures and uh and last week and we talked about even even how he wants that for our lives and yet our arrogance are we fight against that because we want to do things our way and um we talked about last week how he guides us and our minds are changed and our perspectives change when we focus on jesus When we're gazing at Jesus and looking at him and our focus and our attention is there, everything, our perspectives change and and we can see through the fog. David continues this psalm and and, uh, he continues this metaphor of God being our shepherd. And as I thought about this, I considered the fact as David is writing about God being the shepherd, well, it means that then he and we are the sheep. And so I thought, well, if I was a shepherd, I would want to understand the behavior of sheep. And so I studied some information about the behavior of sheep, and I realized how alike we are in our nature to sheep. You want to know what I found out? It says, you know, sheep, I read, read they have like shepherd's blogs online. I didn't even know this. I mean, we don't live in that society, but it's, you know, amen. Sheep are best known for their strong flocking and following instinct. They will run from what frightens them and band together in large groups for protection. This is the only protection they have from predators, and there is safety in numbers. Isn't that true for us sometimes? When one sheep moves, the rest will follow, even if it's not a good idea. The flocking and following instinct of sheep is so strong that it caused the death of 400 sheep in 2006 in eastern Turkey. The sheep plunged to their death after one of the sheep tried to cross a 15-meter deep ravine and the rest of the flock followed. Think about all the mob mentality we have, even in social media today. One person says something, we're all like, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. 
Healthy uh, sheep are a very social animal. In a grazing situation, they need to see other sheep. In fact, ensuring that sheep always have visual contact with other sheep will prevent excess stress when moving or handling them. A sheep will become highly agitated if it is separated from the rest of the flock. I thought about that. I'm like, that's so true. I mean, God created us for community, right? For, for relationship, for interaction. Healthy sheep are eager to eat. They are almost always hungry. They will overeat if we let them. Sheep bleat in anticipation of being fed. I thought about my son, Jonathan, one year old. When he sees food, he's like, ah, ah, ah. he gets all excited. Sheep bleat in anticipation of being fed and will rapidly approach the feeding area. Food is an excellent motivator for sheep. Sheep spend about 15% of their time sleeping, but may lie down and rest at other times. And upon rising, they often defecate and stretch. And I thought, well, to each his own right there. So David uses this imagery of God being our shepherd. And, and with David's own experience of being a shepherd before he was king, it's clear that he had spent a lot of time in those years of his life reflecting on human similarities to the behavior of sheep and our constant need, man's constant need, for a true shepherd. I could just imagine David in the pastures watching his sheep as one of them moves and the other, all the other ones move along with it and, and how one just moves along by itself and yet gets all stressed out because they're away from the flock. And I can just imagine David thinking through the years, wow, we're so much like that. And we need God as our shepherd. And so David continues this psalm in the next verse. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will Fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they come from me. It's probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Used at funerals, used in times of uh, trouble and discouragement, uh, on walls of homes and buildings. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, another translation, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I will fear no evil. You know, sometimes a shepherd would have to lead their sheep through dark valleys and areas in order to get to some pasture land. And so the imagery here for David is very real. David's like, I've done this before. I've, I've taken a herd of sheep, a flock of sheep, through dark valleys in order to get to pasture. And I've had to use a rod and a staff to keep them in place and, and keep them going so they wouldn't starve to death and get to the right place. And he says, because, because of God's leadership, because of God's shepherding us, he says, I can go through the most difficult and darkest valley and have no fear. Again, the emphasis here is not on our ability, but on God's leadership and guidance, even through the most difficult tragedy and times in our lives. Are you in a dark valley today? God says, David writes, he says, listen, even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God's leadership, God's guidance 
even through the most difficult tragedy in times of our lives. I, I think about even the families of the victims of the South Carolina tragedy in Charleston, you know. And it said, you know, we, in the news, it was all over the news about this and, and how these families, uh, many of these families from Christian background were able to verbally forgive the mass murderer. And you think about that as a dad or as a husband or as a, you know, my, my grandfather or who, whoever the victim was that, that died in that massacre, and yet these families through the darkest valleys, because the Lord is with them, fearing no evil, are able to say, I forgive you. That's powerful. He talks about how God's rod and staff comfort him. Uh, an author named Philip Keller was a, was a, uh, grew up in East Africa. And he was actually a shepherd for a time of his life, and, but had, had, had been around the Middle Eastern shepherding uh, community for many years. And, and he wrote a book in terms of uh, kind of the, the Psalm 23, um, kind of going through the verses like kind of we are. And he writes something interesting here. I wanted to read it to you. It says, he says, uh, each shepherd boy, from the time he starts to tend his father's flock, takes special pride in the selection of a rod and staff exactly suited to his own strength and size. The sapling itself is shaped to exactly fit the owner's hand. After he completes it, the shepherd boy spends hours practicing with this club, the rod, learning how to throw it with amazing speed and accuracy. It becomes his main weapon of defense for both himself and his sheep. The rod, in fact, was an extension of the owner's own right arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger, and it was furthermore the instrument he used to discipline and correct any wayward sheep that insisted on wandering away. The staff is essentially a symbol of the concern, the compassion that a shepherd has for his charges. No other single word can better describe its function on behalf of the flock than that it is for their, quote, comfort. Whereas the rod conveys the concept of authority, of power, of discipline, of defense against danger, the word staff speaks of all that is long-suffering and kind. The shepherd will use his staff to gently lift a newborn lamb and bring it to its mother if they become, depart, uh, depart, uh, become parted. The staff is used by the shepherd to reach out and catch individual sheep, young or old, and draw them close to himself for intimate examination. The staff is very useful this way for the shy and timid sheep normally tend to keep at a distance from the shepherd. The staff is also used for guiding sheep. Again and again, I've seen a shepherd use his staff to guide his sheep gently into a new path or through some gate or along dangerous, difficult routes. He does not use it actually to beat the beast. Rather, the tip of the long, slender stick is laid gently against the animal's side, and the pressure applied guides the sheep in the way the owner wants it to go. Thus, the sheep is reassured of its proper path. I just found this interesting about how the rod is used for the discipline, the authority, the, de the defense of the sheep, protect protection, and yet the staff is used to guide, to prod, to uh, catch, to save from, if they fall in the water, to hook them and, and bring them back out of these kind of things. And, 
And so it's some great imagery that, of what God, David is referencing to in the psalm in regards to the rod and the staff being comforting. You know, David, a lot of scholars think that David wrote this psalm in his later years in life as he was able to reflect back on his life and all the issues, all the, all the things that he went through as a shepherd, as a king, as the youngest boy, looked down upon, all this kind of stuff. Everything that he went through, he was able to look back and say, you know, in everything, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And he just kind of wrote, so a lot of scholars believe he kind of wrote this in the later years of his life. And if David, of all people, understood God's rod and God's staff, God's discipline and God's lifting him up. And so we're going to look at a very popular episode in David's life in which I truly believe as he wrote Psalm 23, he was thinking of this episode. We're going to read a lot of Bible here today. I hope you got your Bibles ready. If I'm not going to have a lot of slides here on the, on the screen. So in, um, in 2 Samuel in chapter 11, David, it says that the king, the, the, it was during the time that the, that the kings go off to war. And David decides to stay back home and not get into the action. And as he's wandering on the roof, he sees a naked woman bathing. He lusts after her, and because he's king, commands the guards to bring her to him. He sleeps with her, and she conceives. David decides at that moment, in the, in all, and this is time. It's not like it happened overnight. I mean, it, this is all premeditated. This is all going on through David's mind and his scheme. He says he brings back... You know, you know the story, right? He brings uh, her husband, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, the Hittite, who was out at war. He decides to bring her husband back from war and get him drunk and have him sleep with his wife so that it seems like the baby is his baby. But Uriah doesn't do it. And David tries the scheme again. And Uriah decides not to go through with it, doesn't go home to see his wife. And so David just sends him back to battle and tells the commander to put him in the front lines and pull back when the fighting gets fiercest so he can be killed. So through all this time, David has gone from being idle, lustful, sexually immoral, committing adultery, manipulative, deceitful, justifying his sin. And all this is premeditated. It's not like he just fell into it. Oh, you know, sometimes people say that, oh, I just fell into this sin. I just like, like, what does that mean? Like, you just like were walking, you just fell into it? Like, oh, wow, there's a billboard and I just fell into this strip club. Like, that doesn't make sense, right? So it's not like David fell into it. It was, it, it was premeditated. It was thought through. It was planned out. And the whole time, he doesn't feel anything. And this is what sin does. It just kind of numbs you out. And in fact, in 2 Samuel 11, verse 26, it says here, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over. So this is a time, a period of time. David had her brought brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done, displeased the Lord. So we're not talking about like a couple weeks of stuff here. We're talking over a period of time, months, maybe over a year's time, where David, the man after God's own heart, 
is wrecking his life because of decision after decision. And he was numb. I don't, I don't think he wrote any psalms during this time. And that's what sin does. It, it numbs you out. It makes you protect yourself instead of honoring God. And, and sin, and, and all of this sin, weighs you down. It weighs me down. It weighs us down to where I'm unable then to travel light. Because I'm weighed down by sin. And I'm numbed out because of all this sin. And, and we're going to read chapter 12 together. And I want us to, you know, turn your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, get someone who does have a Bible. What? Not in there. Anyway, turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll read this together here in verse 1. It says here, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like, it was like a daughter to him. So you, you got Nathan here having a, a conversation with David. He's telling this story, kind of a parable to David. Verse 4 says, Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal, a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why? Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And God goes off on David. He rebukes the sin. You know, what's interesting is that all that Nathan prophesied here actually came true. His sons, three of his sons murdered each other. His son Absalom started a coup and slept with David's wives in broad daylight. I mean, God doesn't mess around. But look at David's response. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned 
against the Lord. He didn't focus on Nathan. He said, well, Nathan, you haven't been around here for a while. This is a, I haven't seen you in a long time. Now you're calling me out? I didn't see you calling me. I didn't see you coming over to my house trying to visit me. I haven't seen you in over a year. Now you're going to come in after a year of not seeing you. You're going to come over here and tell me this? What about you? What have you been? David didn't go there. That's where we go. When we're challenged and confronted, we know the truth. And we focus on the other person. Well, what about you? You're challenging me on my thing. Well, what about you? You haven't called me. You haven't come over and visit me. Now all of a sudden you're going to come and tell me like I'm all in sin. <laughs> That's ridiculous. David says, I, I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, verse 13, the Lord has taken away your sin. It's awesome. You are not going to die, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, his son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted. He spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, well, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and then named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet the name of Jedidiah, which means loved by the Lord. God's rod, the God rod, used through Nathan's rebuke. You know, there was forgiveness for David's sin, but there was consequences to it. And as David writes Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I I lack nothing. He guides me, he leads me beside quiet waters. I'm sure he thinks about this time in his life. And so it, it actually amazes me how he says that God's rod is comforting. This is an absolutely difficult and painful time in God and David's life, and yet in his later years he's able to look back and realize God's discipline is comforting. You know, many will look at this story and think God is so cruel. God is, you know, the Bi- I love the Bible. When you read the Bible, it's real. This is real people in real situations, real life. It's not magic here. This is real. 
But I, and many will look at this story and think God is so cruel by punishing the baby, by allowing the baby to die or, or making the baby die. I think as a father, I'm more, even more sensitive to that, right? But, but we don't consider the fact that maybe God was actually saving that baby. Think of all the scandal that that baby caused in the whole household of Israel, the whole house of David. Think of all the gossip. Think of that kid growing up, getting bullied because of how he came out in the earth, on earth. Like, all he was a scandal. He was a baby born out of scandal. And so a lot of us will be like, God's so mean, but maybe God is so good to save that baby, to protect him. I'm just going to bring him back home with me. He doesn't deserve to grow up in that crazy household. And yet, he's disciplining David. God's discipline is painful, but so needed in our lives. When we make decisions to not do things God's way, forgiveness is there, but the consequences can last forever. Just because there's forgiveness, it doesn't mean there are no consequences. James chapter 1 and verse 13, it talks about sin. And it says, when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James describes how sin becomes sin. It begins with desire. A thought, an inkling, an instinct that leads to a temptation and being enticed. And once that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and death. And sin, sin is heavy. Sin weighs you down. There's nothing light or free or easy with sin. There's no green pastures and quiet waters with sin. People think, well, I'm free. I can do what I want. Yeah, that's true. But when you sin, you actually become a slave to sin and the guilt and the consequences. And it weighs you and me down. And we carry this burden of sin. Hebrews 12, verse 4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those, the one that he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So basically what God is saying is, in order for me to experience a harvest of righteousness and peace, and we talked about quiet waters and green, in order for me to get there, I may have to undergo God's discipline. Because God's discipline will lead me to those quiet waters. Because it's painful, it can be painful at the time, but it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. We will have to endure God's discipline in order to be able to travel light 
and have that harvest of righteousness and peace. You know, some of you today are weighed down by sin. It's a burden you're carrying, and it's weighing you down. There's drunkenness. There's addiction. There's impurity. Sexual immorality. You know, sex was created by God. Sex is an incredible gift that God gives to the covenant of a married husband and wife. But anything outside of God's design has consequences in an eventual marriage that will last a long time. I've seen people who are married, who, who, had, who, who experienced sex before that covenant, and years and years and years later, they're still working out issues of trust with one another. Be very careful with God's design. Years and years later, still dealing with issues of trust between a husband and a wife just because they had sex outside of God's design. David admitted his sin. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. You know, if we're weighed down right now by sin, you know what we need? We need a Nathan. We need a Nathan experience in our life. All of us at one point or another need to have a Nathan experience. Someone who confronts and calls you out. You may not like it, but you know the truth is being spoken. If you want to travel light and not see your life wrecked, listen to the Nathans in your life. Stop fighting against people who tell you the truth about where you're at in your life. God may be speaking through that person. Well, I just don't get along with them. Well, I don't like the way they look at me. Well, they didn't use any scripture with me, so I don't know. Listen. Listen to the Nathans in your life. And I'm so thankful kind of in our marriage over the years having Nathans in my life to to call me out but also to teach me how to be a husband. And it's a pro- we've been married now 10 years. It's a process. And I'm still learning. I think God God just exposes another layer of selfishness every year. Just another layer of selfishness or another layer of pride every year. And I need Nathans in my life. I remember one time we got in this huge fight, and I had a Nathan in my life. And he was like, what? what's wrong with you? Who do you think you are? I got those several times in my life. The who do you think you are? You know, I remember one time as a teenager, I was like being super uh, rebellious and disobedient with my parents as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. I was still like, you know, I got all the hormones and I'm just mad at everybody and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so my teen leader takes me in the car and, and my mentor and he takes me in the car. And, and my mom, obviously my mom had been like, hey, you need to talk to him. You need to talk to him. And so I go in the car with him. We're in the parking lot at some kind of grocery store or something like that. And he locks the door, doesn't let me get out of the car. And he's like, what's wrong with you? Who do you think you are? And just like, just tears me up. It's not verbal abuse here. It's not verbal abuse. It's 
It was a healthy rebuke in the Lord. I sat there and I took it like a champ. You know what I mean? And I was like, I went home. Let me tell you, I went home and I apologized to my mama. I apologized to my dad. I mean, it was thorough. You know, when I got rebuked for that, for with, with the, that fight that I got into with Marina, I, let me tell you, the repentance was thorough. Because I needed somebody in my life at that point to just call me out. I remember one time I got bad grades in campus. I got a bad grade in campus. And these two brothers sat me down and called me out on it. And when I was thought that I was being broken, I was, thought, I was like, man... I see it, my laziness, yes, my lack of humility, I need to get better, I need to be excellent for God. And the brothers looked at each other and said, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. I'm like sitting there like, dude, I'm like right here. You can talk to me, I'm in the room. They're talking about me in front of me. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was a thorough rebuke. Let me tell you, I went back to school that next semester and got straight A's. I mean, I was, it's, you need a Nathan. We need Nathan experiences in our lives. I really feel strongly that I'm here as a faithful Christian because of Nathans in my life smacking me around a little bit, telling me what I didn't want to hear, but I needed to hear. Proverbs 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. God, the God rod. Some of us need the God rod in our life. And it's okay to have the God, God's rod in our life because in the end you'll look back and say, that comforted me. My marriage wouldn't be where it is if I didn't have that rod. My parenting wouldn't be this way. My outlook and perspective on money wouldn't maybe be this way if I didn't have God's rod and somebody in my life wielding that rod, smacking me back into place. God's staff nudged David back in line. He let David marry Bathsheba and they had another son and God loved him and used him to become the wisest king in the history of Israel. Wrote most of the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs. This was God's grace, God's compassion, God's kindness on David's life. And that's, that's what I want for me. That's what he wants for all of us. I don't, think, I don't think God's sitting up there like, I can't wait to get this rod out and beat them. I don't think he's like that. I think he's just like that when we wander off and try to do our own thing because we think it's better. Well, Reuben, it's just I'm emotionally in love with this person and therefore I'm going to... Really? Or, you know, oh, well, I just, you know, I was just... I don't know, I was just on my computer and it just popped up and I just like, you know, I just clicked on it and then all of a sudden I fell into pornography. Like, I think when we go down these roads, you know, it's interesting, Ephesians 5, side note, Ephesians 5 puts sexual immorality and impurity together with greed. I don't think I've ever said to somebody, you know what your issue is, bro? You're just greedy. But God looks at greed and selfishness in a great way. And these things weigh us down. 
Now, I don't think God, again, I don't think God's up there like, I'm going to get the rod out and beat them. I think God is like, no, I, I want them to walk in line, and sometimes they might drift a little bit. Let me get this staff and just kind of, in my kindness and gentleness, kind of prod, put pressure on them to bring them back in line. You guys with me on that? You know, the Apostle Paul endured hardship and discipline from God. I'm not sure... I'm not sure it was because he deliberately sinned like David, but more, it was more for God to keep him humble. And so I want to close out with this and and help us see how we should be and who we need to be so we can live lives that travel light. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now think about this. This is something that's happening in his life. It's a messenger of Satan, and yet God is allowing this to happen. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had this thorn in his flesh. Maybe he could have seen, he said it was a messenger of Satan, but it could have been viewed also as God's discipline in his life, thorn in his flesh. And yet God reassured him, saying, Paul, all you need is my grace. That's all you need. That is sufficient. I think that that's God's staff kind of putting some pressure on Paul. Paul, you're going to be okay. Let me hook you back in because my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, God's rod is the discipline we will go through and consequences we will endure because of our sin, but God's staff gets us back in line. His grace is sufficient. We need Nathans in our lives, and sometimes, just like Paul, we need to put our worst foot forward. We talk about, I want to put my best foot forward, have great first impression. Maybe as, as a follower of Christ, we need to change that and be like, no, I'm going to put my worst foot forward. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Hi, my name is Reuben. This is who I am. This is what I've fallen into, messed up with. This is my selfishness, my pride. This is who I Let me put my worst foot forward and boast of my weakness, not for your sake, but because I want some of God's power to be, be made perfect in my life. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So this week, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you're feeling, what's weighing you down, but I know that at any moment, sin or a hidden sin will weigh you down. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you and urge you, get a Nathan in your life and listen, not just get them in your life, but listen to what they have to say. You may not like it, but just listen. God may be speaking through them, The other thing I want to challenge you to do is boast in your weakness. Stop putting up a front. Get real. Get open. Because when you are weak, 
then you're strong. God is our shepherd. We lack nothing. When we walk through the darkest valleys, we can fear no evil because he's guiding us. His rod, his discipline, his power, his authority, his staff, his kindness, his compassion, his, his guidance. These should be and are and will be a comfort to us. You may be going through discipline right now. God may be like, you know what? You don't want to trust me? I'm going to take your job. I'm going to take your car. I'm going to... You don't trust me? I'm going to do all this. Maybe it is God's discipline. Maybe it's just you made some bad decisions. Maybe it's actually God's discipline, though. And if it is God's discipline, I would just say, humble out. And like David, go before the Lord. I I have sinned against God. If you're visiting with us today and it's your first time or you haven't been in a while to church or you're studying the Bible, trying to figure out your faith, let me encourage you. The thing that's going to make you feel light and free again is when you cast off and let go of all these sins that are weighing you down. You need forgiveness. You will have consequences, but you need forgiveness. God's grace is sufficient. Humble out. Listen to the Nathans. Let's boast in our weakness. And let's make sure to follow his way, our shepherd. Amen? Let's... um. Let's stand together. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then the guys are going to lead us in one final song. Um, I would encourage you to stay here and sing the song together before we go get our kids so we can close out our worship time really praising God. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We praise you. We're grateful for your rod and your staff. They will comfort us, help us to view things from your perspective. Father, help us to... Uh, walk in the light, to boast in our weakness, to surround ourselves with some Nathans in our life that will tell us the truth and help us to see that some whatever, whatever may be going on in our life may be your discipline, but in the end will lead to a harvest of righteousness and peace. To you be all the glory, honor, and praise. Through Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information, visit our website at www.greaterlongbeachchurch.com.